0: And welcome to Core of the Matter, the weekly public affairs show of 98.3, The Core. I'm your host, Yashwant Manjanath, and this week, this is going to be my last Core of the Matter, everybody. Hope you guys don't miss me too much. Sarah Morrison's going to be taking over the show after I leave. She's going to be the new public affairs director. But I've got an awesome show planned for you guys for my last show. We're going to be talking about Social Security and really correcting a lot of the myths out there in the mainstream media about the program. And you're going to get the cold, hard, objective truth about the program and about what both parties are trying to do to steal your retirement money. My guest is Manny Goldstein. He had an awesome thread at Democratic Underground where he did some amazing research about Social Security and really found that the projections that we hear about in the media are just complete bogus and why that's the case that's going to be what i air for you guys for the first three segments of the show and then in the last segment i'm going to have sarah morrison come in and we're going to talk about the interview and about the future of social security so i hope you guys enjoy the show you're listening to core of the matter without further ado i'm going to take you to the interview Joining us now is Manny Goldstein, who did some excellent research on Social Security that I found out about by reading the Democratic Underground Forum. So, hey, Manny, can you uh, introduce yourself to our audience and say a little bit about your occupation?
1: Sure. My name is Manny Goldstein. I am from uh, Newton, Massachusetts, which is just outside of Boston. And my day job is actually as an engineering manager. I help design medical devices. In particular, uh, my specialty is what's called systems engineering, where we look at big complicated problems try to figure out how to fix you know what what's going on and how to fix any problems the thing which I guess I'm on the Air for is not for being an engineer
0: yeah really. yeah that's I never would have guessed that that was <laughs> that was your job to be honest Wow
1: <laughs> well I, I like to you know engineers like to look at numbers and we like to again look, look at complicated systems and try to figure out what's going on in you know on the side for fun kind of uh, over the last actually 15 years or so I've been using a lot of those same skills the a hobby to look at complicated social systems. And in particular, I've, I've looked at the middle class and how the middle class has changed over the last, oh, at this point, 35 years or so. You know, 35 years ago, a family could lead a middle class existence, you know, an American dream, with a house and a couple of cars and sending kids to college. And paid and vacation
0: days them. and a pension and all all That's those.
1: Yep, yeah, all the things, you know, we... we well, some of us still have. Many of us don't at this point. Um, but that could all be done on a single median salary. And today, you really can't do those things on two median salaries. So you know things have changed a lot. So about 15 years or so, uh, or so ago, I realized that was the case and you know, started studying what's what's happened and trying to understand what's going on. And yeah. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah, you know, it's actually it's an interesting point you bring up, that before it used to be that families could achieve that middle-class lifestyle on just one income, and there's that whole, like, 1950s romanticized version of America where you had the stay-at-home mother and the father who went off to work, and I actually think a huge reason why uh, women entered the workforce as quickly as they did uh, following the 1950s is that it just became an economic necessity for families in order to survive. They needed that second income, so the social hang-ups about women working outside the workplace just evaporated a lot quicker than they would have normally.
1: Sure. Well, and, and clearly that's true today, I mean, right? I mean, you can't... There are very few families that can afford to have one one parent, uh, just one parent working.
0: Yeah, and oh. yeah, it's funny that like, I heard about your research because one of the uh, commenters at uh, the website that I, I write for when I'm I'm not here <laughs> at the station, and he he was telling me about about Social Security, and he pointed out your post to me, and I mean, within 24 hours, not only had I heard about it, but. Uh Tom Hartman actually heard about it a much uh, more renowned talk show host than than me and it's just it's amazing how you, you post on on an online forum and within twenty four hours you're having your ideas being discussed publicly and part of the national discourse. How, what does that feel like that
1: was it was a little surreal <laughs> a little surreal, a little amusing. You know, very very flattering. We live in an interesting age where every, everybody can get access to everything uh, via the internet. So in a lot of ways, it's wonderful. It allows re- everybody's voice to get through. Not that it's always easy to get through through the clutter of the internet, but at least at this point, it's, there aren't a lot of gatekeepers in the way of between you and, and the outside world.
0: So yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how that goes with. You know, the recent net neutrality issues that have been going on at the FCC, but uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's,
1: that's kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, although I, I, I think overall, ultimately, just because of the nature of the internet and the nature of the type of communications it is, that it's going to be difficult to really put a clamp on it. But I'm wrong a lot, so uh, <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully, I'm right about this one. We'll see.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So now let's get to specific questions about Social Security, since uh, I actually. I think your research was it was something that I'd never seen before. And, and it, but before we get to your specific uh, point that I'd never seen before, I just wanted to ask, like, what led you to research Social Security specifically?
1: Well, you know, I've had this general interest around the middle class and around how things have changed over time. And more specifically, I, I got interested in Social Security because I saw a video that basically scared the heck out of me. Oh, I don't know, probably about six months ago or so. There was a video on the Internet. It was a uh, sort of an impromptu interview with Senator Alan Simpson, a uh, former Wyoming Republican senator. Uh, yeah, I think
0: be- I think I know what you're talking about, actually. Yeah, go on.
1: Yeah, so he's one of the, the two co-chairs of the president's commission on the debt and deficit. The,
0: the cat food commission?
1: Is- yeah, the so-called cat food <laughs> We implement their recommendations. Most older Americans will only be able to afford to eat cat food.
0: Yeah, who so- came up with that anyway? That's-
1: the cat food commission? Yeah. I don't know. I wish. I wish. I wish I could claim it for myself. Yeah, it's.
0: it's I mean, that's like some Luntzian messaging there. It's. <laughs> that's as good as the death tax or any anything that the the right has come out with for their yeah, messaging purposes. Yeah, it's wonderful.
1: Actually, it's even better because it's true as opposed <laughs> to yeah you know, the yeah. death tax, right? Yeah, exactly. So I saw this interview. So basically, the deficit commission having closed-door meetings, or was having closed-door meetings for, I guess, about a year or so. And it was pretty clear to people who really looked at this from the beginning that the commission was designed to recommend deep cuts in Social Security, when you look at who was appointed to it and whatnot. But in any case, at this point, I didn't know that. I just knew there was this commission. I knew of... I knew Alan Simpson was sort of an outspoken, colorful, you know, far-right kind of guy. Um, yeah.
0: You know, when I... When I heard about the commission when it was initially put together and I heard the co-chairs were Alan Simpson and Erskine Bowles, Bowles was actually the most conservative uh, chief of staff under the Clinton administration. And and I'd also heard that like 14 out of the 18 members of the commission were self-described fiscal conservatives. So it definitely seemed like these guys were going after entitlement spending all along.
1: Yeah, well, I think you were ahead of me then. <laughs> I, 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 I guess I was aware of those things, but somehow it didn't, for some reason, it didn't gel for me. And I didn't realize how awful Bowles was. I mean, Bowles is, he, he's got a long history of actually coming very, very close to slashing Social Security. Yeah, he
0: he pushed really hard for it during the Clinton administration, and Clinton actually agreed with him, but it was... Gingrich and the Democrats in Congress who stopped Clinton from cutting Social Security. They didn't want to touch the issue coming up to an election act.
1: Actually, my understanding is that Bowles negotiated with Gingrich to slash Social Security. Uh, again, as you say, when he was um, Clinton's chief of staff. Right. And then when he went back to Clinton, Clinton said, okay, that, that sounds good. <laughs> Let's do it. And then, um, as you say, Congress at that point said, no, we're not, we're not going to slash Social Security. So it's just it's rather staggering that you've got these two very outspoken, very accomplished people at slashing Social Security who put in charge of this commission. And what's also interesting is that 10 of the 18 members of the commission were on record, even before they were appointed to the commission, as saying that Social Security required deep cuts. <laughs> wow. So you, it's, from the get-go, it started with a majority who had already decided to cut Social Security deeply. So that, that was kind of, uh, you know, when I found that out, after I started doing some research, I was really... Uh...
0: Of course, this is the commission that was put together by the socialist, Maoist, Marxist Obama, who apparently is the, the biggest uh, liberal around, if you listen to the conservative media, but <laughs> doesn't appear to be the case when it comes to Social Security.
1: No, or most other things, I think. <laughs> yeah, but well... The Social Security thing is just amazing, because, you know, he resurrected this twice... At least twice in Congress, there had been efforts to start this commission, and Congress had refused to start this commission. You know, twice, I think it was um, uh, Kent Conrad and, um, i trying to remember, the uh, Judd Gregg from New Hampshire, uh, those two senators had tried to start this commission, and, and Congress had refused to start it. Um, the, the last time it went dead, uh, Obama immediately picked it up and, and resurrected it on his own.
0: Yeah, this so, was this was created by executive order, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, Congress wouldn't do it, but Obama would, and apparently set it up in order to have a recommendation, a bipartisan recommendation, to make deep cuts in Social Security. And they're very deep cuts. I, most people don't know this, but the commission voted to recommend a 22% cut in, in Social Security benefits. And it wouldn't phase it immediately. It would phase it over time. Right. But it would eventually be a 22% cut in, in benefits. They talk about it as trimming a little bit at the edges. Twenty-two percent is huge.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, How much would that work out to for, uh, like, over the lifetime of, of the beneficiary? How much money is each person giving up if, if these cuts were implemented?
1: So the, the Social Security Administration has done that calculation. The chief actuary of Social Security did that calculation and issued a letter with that information. And his calculation was that the average recipient would see a a cut of $56,000, a little more than $56,000. Oh, my God. So, yeah, or, you know, it's over $100,000 per couple.
0: Yeah, well, that's insane. Who can afford to give up $56,000 just that they've been paying into their whole lives? It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, these are earned benefits. I mean, they get characterized as somehow being welfare, but this is money that people have paid into. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, It's awful. Yeah, so how the commission go about cutting the benefits was it like raising the retirement age or was it just outright benefit cuts like what did they do exactly
1: so they did two things so first of all the retirement age would increase by another two years so it was it was over the last 20 years it's been increased by two years from about 65 to 67 the sort of nominal age people can retire earlier but they get the lower benefits so this would increase the retirement age up to about i guess 69 over time and then the other thing that it does is it changes the way the cost of living allowance is, is calculated so each year medicare excuse me medicare uh <laughs> social, social security, security right medicare goes up too but it actually goes up a lot more each year social security is adjusted uh, to take into account the, the changes in the cost of living. right
0: the colas yeah
1: right exactly so it would change the way that that was calculated and it would cut it i forget how much i think it was like half a percent or something each year would be half a percent lower than it is now.
0: Would the benefits still be indexed to inflation, or
1: is that... Well, how they calculate, so the the COLA adjustment is really the, the adjustment for inflation. So right. what the Deficit Commission is saying is that, well, you know, the way we're calculating inflation for that group of people, for Social Security benefits, is really not accurate. We need to calculate it a different way that will Show that inflation increases you know, substantially less for older people. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. And there are, I mean, to be fair, there are some differences in the situations of older people. I mean, they typically tend to be a little different than everybody else. Right. But not, but not so much different. And if you look at the, the age, the, the change in age, I and mean, people don't, don't realize that the change in age is just a benefit cut. Yeah,
0: you know, absolutely. They,
1: they say, well, I'm just going to put it off longer. Well, you're not going to put it up dying longer. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. You're cutting your lifetime benefits. And then the cost of living adjustment, it's small at first, but over time, you know. The longer
0: you live, the more it accumulates to being as, as far as being a benefit cut.
1: Exactly, exactly. So after 20 or 30 years, most of what you're receiving is probably based on those, those COLA adjustments. So, it's,
0: so um, how is COLA calculated right now? Like is it through the Consumer Price Index or how do they go about calculating what the COLA should be? Correct. You know,
1: I'm not I'm not exactly sure of how they do that for that age group versus how they do it for the general population. I know they index it to something different. There's some other, you know, the, the government always does various indices. They'll, they'll measure the same thing different ways, and they, they've adjusted, they've indexed Social Security to one of these other indices, but I'm not sure how that works exactly.
0: Okay, that's fine. So I was hoping you could knock down some of the common misconceptions and myths we hear in the media about Social Security and the fiscal problems that it's in, like we hear all the time about how Social Security, is just, it's going broke and it won't be around when young people like myself and a lot of the college students who listen to the show retire. Is that true? And
1: Well, um, the short answer is that it's, it's probably not true. The caveat with all of these things is that talking about in the future, in some cases far into the future, right? and it's always a little hard to predict what's going to happen in the future, But you try to make your most reasonable predictions about the future. And typically those predictions, the best way to make future predictions is to base it on what's happened in the past, particularly if things have happened a certain way for the last 50 or 60 years and haven't really changed very much. You know, the odds are they're going to keep going the same way moving forward. And if you count on them changing a lot, either. Right.
0: yeah, We're talking about actuarial assumptions that are calculated by some very smart people who account for things like changing demographics and whatnot.
1: Right, exactly. So the numbers are to some degree open to interpretation, but there's clearly numbers that make more sense than others. But anyway, that's, maybe we could start by getting one thing out of the way. <laughs> and you're listening
0: to Core of the Matter, the weekly public affairs show of 90.3 The Core. I'm your host, Yashwant Manjunath, and that was part one of my interview with Manny Goldstein about Social Security. I'm your host, Yashwant Manjanath, and here is part two of my interview with Manny Goldstein about the future of Social Security.
1: So some people say that Social Security is bankrupt now. and you know, I've seen articles on the internet, and even in some newspapers, that say Social Security is in trouble now. It's losing money now. It's bankrupt now. Uh, that's just patently false. Social Security currently has uh, 2.6 trillion dollars in its bank account.
0: That's yeah. its it's accumulated surplus over time.
1: That's exactly right. So, you know, there's something called the Social Security Trust Fund where the, you know, the excess that gets paid in gets put into that trust fund and it was designed to actually increase over time. To account for the baby
0: boomers. Right. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. We hear all the time about how the impending retirement of the baby boomers is a uh, judgment. Uh, like it's the end of the world for Social Security and it, it's going to have this apocalyptic effect on the program. But. It seems like if the trust fund has that enormous of a surplus, it seems like the government planned ahead for the baby boomers, right? Well,
1: that's exactly right, unless you listen to Alan Simpson. you know, I mentioned <laughs> earlier that video interview of Alan Simpson that really scared the heck out of me and got me started looking into what's really going on. In, in that video, Alan Simpson basically said every non-true talking point. You, you could imagine. That's what scared me. I, you got this guy who's in charge of his commission.
0: He's a co chair of, of Obama's deficit commission, a Democratic president.
1: <laughs> right. And he's saying such wild things. One of the things he said, and this is you know why I'm reminded of, of Simpson, is that in the early 1980s, we didn't know that the baby boomers were going to retire. We you know, we didn't know such a large percentage of the population was gonna retire.
0: Wasn't that the whole point of the Greenspan Stockman Commission on reforming social security? Was the baby boomers?
1: Absolutely. Although according to you know Alan Simpson it wasn't. They didn't they had no idea that this was gonna happen. And for
0: those of you listening in the audience who don't know what I'm talking about, that was a commission set up by Ronald Reagan in nineteen eighty three to deal with the future of social security when it actually was in some fiscal trouble.
1: Right. And specifically, it was around the baby boomers. Because if you go back to the start of Social Security in 1935, you know, starting in 1935 and going all the way to the early 80s, to, you know, 1983, I think the commission was, Social Security was essentially a a pay-as-you-go program in that people who were working paid a percentage of their paychecks into Social Security. And about the same amount of money would get paid out right away in benefits to beneficiaries, and that worked out well because of the ratio of uh, workers to retirees. Right. That worked well for many years. And what happened was in the early 80s, uh, people began to, to think about the future, and they realized you had this giant pool of baby boomers that first they were they were going to be paying into it, so we're going to have a lot more workers paying in than, than before. But then as they retire, you're going to have a lot more retirees. You know, the ratio would get out of whack when they right. retired. And the concern was that, gee, in order to keep it pay-as-you-go, you know, moving into the you know, 21st century, you'd have to raise benefits on workers in order to pay for the, the boomers who were retiring. I mean, raise
0: uh, payroll taxes.
1: Right. Exactly. You'd have to. You'd have to raise payroll taxes, which you know people didn't want to do. They didn't think that that was fair, and that, that made sense. So the.
0: Uh, Isn't that what ultimately happened with the Greenspan Commission, though? It, the payroll taxes were doubled, weren't they?
1: They were, they were increased somewhat. I don't know if it was doubled, but they were, they were certainly increased, yes. They were increased, and they were increased substantially in order to create a, a big trust fund, which is what we have now. So there was theoretically a trust fund prior to 1983 or so, but they never really accumulated any money. But the idea was to accumulate a lot of money while the boomers were in their prime working years, and then you'd be able to pay for their retirement or pay part of their retirement out of that, out of that trust fund.
0: So why are we hearing about the baby boomers still as this huge problem if we all, if the government already dealt with them in the nineteen
1: eighties? Because it makes a nice right wing talking point. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I, I, I don't know. I I guess the well, there's no reason to keep hearing about this problem because you're you're right. It was it was e- exactly why the um, uh, Greenspan Commission was was put into place and it's been dealt with. Um, yeah. So I, this is just another one of those right wing talking points. That, yeah, and
0: it seems like that's something that not a lot of people seem to know. Like, even in the media, it seems like people don't remember what the purpose of the green, 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 Greenspan Commission was because you hear that talking point not just repeated in the right wing media, but in the so called mainstream establishment, unbiased media, like places like CNN, you'll hear, oh, well, we need to deal with Social Security because of the baby boomers. It just.
1: Yeah, well, they need to do their homework. I, mean, I think um, one of the things I think that people got excited about, about um, that, that post you referred to on Democratic Underground that I made, is I pointed back to a little, I guess, it's about a 10, 12 page research report that I put together on Social Security and about all, all these, these facts. Because I didn't know any of these things either. And I just wanted to learn and understand all the different parts of this. Because people make a lot of wild claims. Well, some of those claims sound reasonable in a vacuum. I mean, when people talk about the baby boomers retiring and causing a problem, I mean, that makes sense. You say, oh, you know, you see that, yeah, that was dealt with. There was a commission. That's (laughs) something that's happening that wasn't already planned for uh, about 30 years ago.
0: Yeah, you brought up your post on Democratic Underground. That's actually what I wanted to get to next, because what really interested me about it was, okay, what I my knowledge of Social Security before I read your research was that the fiscal situation based on calculations we hear in the media, is that the trust fund would pay out full benefits until 2037. And after that, it would only be able to pay out 75% of current benefits going forward. And your research found that that actually wasn't accurate. So can you explain the specifics behind that?
1: Sure. Let me just, I guess, get a couple of things out of the way, though. First of all, again, this is all people making projections. And I guess the question is whether the projections that show that we're going to be the social security won't be able to pay out the full amount in 27 years that's that's a projection i mean it could possibly be right but you know based on what i've read it seems like it's you know not not a very reasonable projection but the other thing i just want to get out of the way is that um you know this is you know i'm I'm sort of the messenger so there are there there are a number of other people who are saying this a number of other other very good economists um and in particular one of these economists uh neil buchanan who's um an economist and a, a law professor. Um, he, I, I read a piece by him, which just blew me away. It's on the Internet. He writes a column on uh, uh, a site called find, FindLaw.com. And he was talking about the projections that are being made by the trustees of Social Security.
0: Yeah, and, who? Uh, wait, so who is making the projections that we hear in the media about it, how the program will run out in, in 26 years and then uh, you'll see a huge benefit cut? Like where did that initial projection come from?
1: Sure. Um, There's a group called the Trustees of Social Security. They're the people who are in charge of the uh, Social Security Trust Fund. Okay. And, you know, every year they make projections about the the health and the fiscal future of Social Security. That's a group of political appointees. So currently, I believe there's four of them. Timmy Geithner is in charge of the uh, trustees. Oh, my God. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Oh, that explains so much.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. So there, there's um, uh, him, there's, I'm trying to remember her name, Sibelius um, I forget her first name.
0: Kathleen Sibelius
1: Kathleen Sibelius. You're talking yeah.
0: about HHS secretary? Yep,
1: yep, her and Hilda Solis, and there's one other person who's an appointee as well, who's not a, a known political figure. Uh, but these are all the president's appointees to this. So, you know, these folks are, I guess I'll leave it for the listener to decide whether... <laughs> either are people who are going to be totally impartial, or whether
0: they're going to toe the uh, president's <laughs> line. To, you know, well, support. yeah. Before uh, before we <laughs> move on from that point, uh, as far as Geithner is concerned, I think it's important here to point out that of all the Democrats who are most responsible for the recent financial meltdown that we had, I mean, if you, it's amazing that Obama picked these people for his economic team because if you came to me and said, okay, who. Is the single worst Democrat Obama could appoint uh, to his economic team? I would have honestly said Tim Geithner, or, or not. Well, Geithner's not even a Democrat. He's he's an independent at this point, but someone affiliated with the Democratic Party. The worst person I would have said Tim Geithner because of his work at the New York Fed regulating the New York banks as they're melting down around him. And if you said, oh, who's the second worst person, I would have said Larry Summers. And, of course, those are the two people he picks for his economic team. Unbelievable.
1: Right. Well, the good news is Larry's not on this team. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's not on the economic team at all. He's not uh, one of the trustees of Social Security. <laughs> oh, so, um, so these folks you know, do projections every year about the future of Social Security. Now, when you're doing these projections, everything's based on assumptions, right? You're assuming, you know, it's like if you're making projections for your own retirement.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know,
1: you're going to make assumptions about how much money you're going to earn over time and what the interest rate's going to be in the the bank and, you know, what your investment's going to make and all those kinds of things. So each year they they do a number, they do actually do several projections based on several um, sets of assumptions. And one of those is called the intermediate projection. That's their best guess, so-called best guess and what the future looks like. Uh, the thing that's interesting, and was pointed out by uh, Neil Buchanan in his articles, and actually by some other you know, folks um, as well, like Paul Krugman and you know, other, other top economists, is that their assumptions are incredibly pessimistic, uh, even on this best guess um, uh, projection. So the, the one thing that really caught my eye was their assumption around economic growth. Right. Now, you know, economic growth, also known as GDP growth, growth domestic product growth. Yeah. You know, for the last 50 or 60 years, it's been pretty steady at about three percent a year. I mean, it, it changes during any economic cycle, but it's been averaging about three, three point one percent per year. The uh, trustees used a figure of two point one percent for future economic growth. So, well, that's. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a hugely pessimistic assumption to make, right?
1: (laughs) I think so. I mean, to put it in perspective, in 2010, which I don't think any of us, you know, unless the ultra-rich are listening.
0: The the Great Recession.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah, I don't think any of us would say 2010 was a good economic year. But 2010, GDP growth was 2.9%. So things would have to get a lot worse than 2010 and stay that way for a very long time in order to meet that 2.1% projection.
0: So hang on, hang on a second. So they base their numbers for Social Security no longer being able to pay full benefits in in 26 years based on assuming GDP growth is going to be 2.1% a year while in the middle of this recession, GDP growth was 2.9% Correct. in 2010. Okay, so if the economy grew at the sluggish recession pace that it did in 2010, how long would Social Security be solvent without any adjustments?
1: Well, actually, that's, that's the perfect question because it turns out that you know I mentioned they do um, several projections each year. They do actually three uh, projections each year, and one of those projections is called um, officially called the low cost projection, but it's the sort of really descriptive name is the, or at least they would say it's the optimistic projection. Right now, the, the so-called optimistic projection that they made most recently. Uh, used 2.9% as the average GDP growth moving forward.
0: So they used the recession GDP growth. Going yeah, it was
1: through. coincidental. I mean, they actually did this, you know, six months or so before we actually knew what the GDP growth was for the year. But as, as by coincidence, they happened to use the same number that the GDP growth ended up being. And it turns out that with, with that GDP growth, Social Security would never have a problem as far as the eye can see. So they looked for 75 years out and Social Security was, was fine for 35 years to be able to pay full benefits without making any changes. <laughs>
0: that's unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable that we we're even talking about the trouble that Social Security is in when if the economy just grows at the pace it's been growing during this recession, the program doesn't need to make any changes at all.
1: Right, and it's amazing. You know, it, it's the thing that's, that's incredible is that they're, I think Paul Krugman did a good job of pointing this out. They're they're saying, well, Social Security is in trouble because the economy might get worse, and then if the economy gets worse, then we're going to have to cut benefits. So what Krugman says is that the, 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 they're claiming, you know, the, the Obama and the Republicans and whatnot, are claiming we need to cut Social Security right, right away so we can make sure we don't have to cut it in the future in case there's something bad happens. It's just kind of crazy. I mean, e- even if things got very bad, it would be 26 years before... We had a problem, not that we should wait 26 years, but the economy really, if economic growth really drops down to 2.1%, you know, and... and
0: you well, know. we're, we're going to have a lot bigger problems than <laughs> the solvency well, of Social Security at that that's point, true. too.
1: That's true. Yes, we'll have much bigger problems. And actually, fixing Social Security is not that big of a deal, even if the bad case happens. You know, people talk about, you know, $5 trillion under the, the pessimistic projection that was made by the trustees. Social Security would require about an extra $5 trillion over the next 75 years. Well, Over 75 years, we're talking the the total GDP of the U.S. is going to be, you know, what, close to $100 trillion? So we're talking, you know, maybe 5% of GDP to fix it, Uh, much less incidentally than what we've been spending on tax cuts for the wealthiest Americans and and on on, uh, our interesting wars that we've uh, started
0: over the last decade. Yeah, so you brought up that the people who made the the pessimistic projections that we hear in the media were political appointees, What appointed by the Obama administration, and were they confirmed by Congress? How, how was that process? I
1: don't think there's a confirmation process involved. I think it's just a straight appointment.
0: And that's done by the president? I, I believe so. So this Obama had the agenda of making Social Security look like it was in worse fiscal shape than it is so that he could justify cutting benefits?
1: Well, yeah, that's the puzzling part, is that it's, it's clear, you know, one of the first things Obama did when he took office was to set up this deficit and debt commission. And it's pretty clear, I think, to anybody who looks at, you know, who it was stocked with, that it was designed to recommend very deep cuts in Social Security. So, you know, you can only infer that Obama wants to be able to make deep cuts in Social Security. And, you know, it's just very puzzling for
0: a Democrat to to want to do those kinds of things. Yeah, and what amazes me is, like, this is a point that it isn't brought up enough. If you look at the fiscal situation of the rest of the federal budget besides Social Security, I mean, with the enormous deficit situation that we have, the rest of the federal government is in so much worse fiscal shape than Social Security, which is a separate program that's been pay-as-you-go and self-financing, for the past seventy-five years, uh, I mean, w- yet we're talking about the fiscal issues that Social Security is having.
1: <laughs> like, I—it's oh, it's incredible. Social Security is making money. pretty yeah. Put put even last year, it put about a hundred billion dollars in the bank. Um, over the next decade, it's going to be putting. Over a trillion. Another, it's expected in the next decade to grow to about four trillion dollars in, in its trust fund.
0: Right, and it's not even legally allowed to add to the deficit, as the 1935 Social Security Act was written.
1: Right, that's right. Would, so what's what's all the fuss about? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, yeah, it just. I, what is the agenda of these people in both parties who are trying to cut Social Security? What's the what are they trying to do? And we're going to find out what they are trying to do when we get to part three, the third and final part of my interview with Manny Goldstein about the future of Social Security. I'm your host, Yashwant Manjanath, and here is the third and final part of my interview with Manny Goldstein on the future of Social Security.
1: Well, unfortunately, like most things these days, I think you have to follow the money, follow the money back to the big money people. You know, I mentioned at the outset that I was very interested in in sort of what's happened to the middle class over the last 35 years or so. And it's really been a story of government shifting money, not just government, but but a number of factors shifting money from the middle class to the wealthiest Americans, which is why we see the um, income disparities growing the way they've been growing. So, I guess the question is, gee, what if we cut benefits for the the average Social Security benefit uh, beneficiary? How does that help the wealthiest Americans? Well, here's what I think is going on. As we discussed, Social Security has about 2.6 trillion dollars in the bank right now, right? And its trust fund that's going to grow to about four, I think, about 4.4, 4.5 trillion dollars eventually before it starts getting drawn down. You know, by the the mass of baby boomers that are uh, going into the going to retirement. You have to take a look at where that money is going. Um, you know, does that money that two point six trillion dollars is it sitting in, in a safe in a lockbox? Well no, it's not.
0: Yeah, you uh, can't really fit <laughs> t- uh, two point well, yeah. six trillion dollars.
1: <laughs> <laughs> into right. a,
0: a giant room or
1: something on <laughs> Right. Well, like any bank account though, it's invested, right? You know, you want to get interest on your money, you don't right. want it sitting there. So people say, Well, Social Security doesn't have money in, in the bank. There's no actual physical money there. Well, you know, Who who among us has physical money in our bank account? None of us. It gets invested. So, well, what's it invested in? Well, by law, it has to be invested in government securities, into treasury bills. The Social Security Administration, or Social Security Trust Fund, takes whatever access it has each year and it purchases treasury bills. And these are slightly different treasury bills than, you know, you and I buy or China buys. But they're very similar in that they are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. So the U.S. government has said, basically, if, if we can't pay these back, you know, we're bankrupt. We can't, uh, you know, preferentially not pay these things back or something like that. So this this money's been loaned to to the government. And what has the government done with it? Well, over the last decade or so, we've spent about a trillion dollars on tax cuts for the wealthiest 5% of Americans. You know, the the, the
0: Bush, Bush tax cuts, cuts right?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we spent about another trillion dollars...
0: On Afghanistan and Iraq and...
1: Exactly. And and those numbers are going to actually be more like, you know, three or four trillion for
0: for those wars fully loaded when you look at... (laughs) So, sorry to uh, cut you off there, but uh, uh, I'm uh, trying uh, to just like wrap my head around this for a second. So what you're telling me basically is the federal government borrowed money from the Social Security Trust Fund and used the middle class's retirement money to finance tax cuts for the rich and senseless wars in the middle east so that the defense contractors and uh, could get rich and now they're trying to avoid paying that money back in a way that doesn't involve them defaulting on the federal government's obligations so right yep.
1: they- <laughs> exactly so they figure if they don't, you know, if we can cut benefits moving forward, then they'll be able to spend more of what's coming in. You know, there's still going to be a surplus coming in for, you know, the next 15 years or so. They'll be able to, you know, keep spending with abandon and then not worry about paying it back so much um, when the boom, when you know, the boomers will need it and when the the T bills come due. Yeah,
0: you know, so what I find particularly despicable about that too is so the federal government, our federal government, is saying, okay, we would rather. Not pay the money that we owe to the middle class, but at the same time, we would never consider defaulting on the debt that we owe to China or some other foreign creditor. So the government is more willing to pay back foreign creditors than they are the retirement money that they owe people who have been paying into Social Security all their lives.
1: It, it's um it, it's very disturbing. You know, I can only agree with you.
0: And, of course, if we default on our foreign creditors, well, what does that do? That hurts the bond market. That hurts... People on Wall Street—it hurts. Well, it hurts them the most. It would, it would hurt everybody, obviously. But you know, if you take money from Social Security, well, that's just uh, people who don't have the political power to send an army of lobbyists to protest something like that. It's
1: unbelievable. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a problem. They're basically trying to restructure the loan and make it go away.
0: <sighs> so, my last question for you is what can we as ordinary citizens do to fight back against these proposed social social security cuts? And I mean, there's, I'm sure that this isn't the first time politicians have been trying to cut social security all these years. Like how have we fought back successfully in the past? And what should people be focused on doing in the future?
1: Well, fighting back is, um, is difficult. <laughs> I've been trying to do it now for all oh, about 20 years. <laughs> and, and it's, it's until we get enough people who understand what's happening, it's very difficult. Right now, we the people are very fractured, very scattered. You've got you know, people on the far right. I don't think there's anybody on the far left anymore. You've got people on, on you know, the left. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and now you know, on Social Security, the politicians are also trying to split us. So you, you have you know, people like Obama... I mean, this, this is very disappointing, too. Obama, he won't say he, he doesn't want to cut Social Security. All else he says time after time is that um, he, he doesn't want to cut it for people 55 and over. Right. and He, he, he doesn't want to slash it for yeah, exactly under 55.
0: Yeah, and okay. another thing he also says is he doesn't want to privatize it uh, because, I mean, that's the right. most extreme right-wing solution, just give the money to Goldman Sachs. But, um, uh, like, so he said he puts out these extreme options and says no i won't do those but right. it's implicit that he's going to do something
1: right well and if you look at his actions and, and you know appointing the deputy,
0: yeah it, it seems sure like
1: what he what he wants to do so he's trying to right now he and other people um get, you know are are basically putting forth his meme that we're not going to cut it for people 55 and older. We're not going to slash it for people under 55. So they're basically trying to split those groups. They're saying to the older people, the people either retired or close to retirement, hey, you guys don't have to worry. You can keep voting for us. And, yeah, you know.
0: it's funny that you bring that up, right? Because like I, I wanted to address a couple of things you, you brought up, actually. You said that the people are very fractured on all these issues. But when it comes to Social Security and Medicare, a majority of Tea Party supporters are actually in favor of of not cutting Social Security or Medicare, uh, I think it's like 62% of Tea Partiers are uh, in favor of uh, of Social Security. And I've seen some polls that say like 70% of Tea Partiers are against cutting Medicare.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, they, these are these are great programs. I think, I think the Republican leadership got a little confused. They think they actually won the last election. <laughs> and what, what really happened is that they just weren't the Democrats. People were angry. Yeah, yeah done exactly. what they said they were going to do, so they voted for the other guys, and now, you know, buyer's remorse, right? Exactly. But, you know, nobody's really looking for looking out for the middle class. There's so, so many issues that, you know, two-thirds of Americans are in favor of X. Yeah. Whether it's Medicare, whether it's single-payer health care, whether it's Social Security, two-thirds or more, in some cases, like 80%. 81% of Americans are in favor of raising taxes for the wealthy. <laughs> so even though there's overwhelming support on both sides for these programs and, and these programs um, things that need to be done, neither party, the leadership of neither political party is in favor of these things. So things are, are, are very out of whack right now.
0: Yeah, and you know, before we end the interview, I just wanted to address the, the last point that you, you made about uh, how the politicians are trying to split up these various different demographics and saying, oh, well, we won't cut Social Security benefits for people who are 55 and older right now. I mean, I actually think that's not going to work, uh, just because it's. I think it's Republicans who really fell into that trap with the Paul Ryan budget, with uh, Medicare saying that they were going to maintain right. Medicare. Yeah, but what they, what these politicians don't seem to realize is that people 55 and older aren't selfish like that. Like they have families, they have kids, and they have younger siblings, and they have close relatives of theirs who they want, like, they don't want to see those people get screwed out of Social Security and Medicare benefits either. Just like they don't want to lose those benefits. So like, I think that's a miscalculation that politicians on both sides are making if they really think that they're going to be able to justify these cuts by just uh, not doing anything to the people who are 55 and older. That, that just seems like a, a foolish strategy to me.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It seems to be blowing up in your face uh, in the case of... Uh you know, Ryan's <laughs> plan.
0: Medicare, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and,
1: and that's the one of the few heartening things that I've seen is that uh, that seems that's turned into such a fiasco that... Oh, I, think I, I don't a, think
0: that's going anywhere. Well, I think no, policy. and,
1: I, think, and I, I, I tend to think you're right on that. Uh, but also, I think more generally, politicians may be getting a lesson in what happens when they, you know, totally try to screw people.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: That, that they can't, there are certain things you can't fracture people on. And uh, hopefully they realize Social Security is one of those things. I think Social Security is similar. The 55 and older folks realize that their families are going to be affected by it. But also I think among those people, they they realize they're next. If they allow this to get cut for the under 55s, two or three more years, they're going to go after the retirees.
0: Exactly. It sets a terrible precedent, yeah.
1: And at that point, the younger people are going to say, yeah, go get them. They, They didn't help us when our our Benefits got cut, so, you know, cut, cut the benefits on the uh, on older <laughs> yeah, dollars yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. So, back to your question as to what to do about this. I think one of the important things is information. I think that everybody needs to know that these cuts that are being recommended or have been recommended by Obama's commission, you know, how deep and savage they are. People, this isn't trimming around the edges. This is $56,000 per recipient.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, if you if you're listening to this and you think, oh well, fifty six thousand uh, dollars, that's not money I'm going to notice. That's
1: <laughs> uh, huge. That's yeah, the difference between exactly. poverty and, and not poverty. I mean, Social Security has worked phenomenally well for seventy five years. Before Social Security was signed into law, retirees were the poorest people in the country. Many of them lived in abject poverty. Yeah, they didn't know where their next meal coming from. You know, and we decided as a society in the mid nineteen thirties that 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 was not what civilized. Societies do, so we implemented social security. It's worked phenomenally well, keeping people out of poverty. And now we want to put them back into poverty again? I don't think so. I just don't think. I don't think we want to do that. I know I don't want to do that. I know you don't. Yeah,
0: I don't want to do that either. And you know, that's that was a great note to end on. Thank you for joining us today, Manny. It was a really fascinating conversation. You brought a lot to the table. Thank you. Good luck. Yeah, you too, man. And that was my interview with Manny Goldstein about Social Security. And welcome to Core of the Matter, the weekly public affairs show of 90.3 The Core. I'm your host, Yashwanth Manjath, and now joining me, Sarah Morrison.
1: Hey, Yashwant, it's a pleasure to be on, and uh, it's been great sitting under what you've been doing for a semester, seeing what you've been doing, and I'm really excited to hop on board and really get into the nitty-gritty of what's going on here.
0: Yeah, hopefully you don't change things too much. I don't <laughs> want to come back here and be like, oh, man, is this Cato Institute radio or whatever. The... <laughs> anyway, I wanted to get your thoughts on the interview with Manny, since I know you have very mixed feelings about Social Security in general. Uh, did you learn anything from the interview? or? Well, what amazes me...
1: From hearing him is that he has he's not involved in this politically he's not involved in this in any way he said he's an engineer and he watched this one video with this one politician and said you know what I see through that and I need to look into this myself I've always been a little skeptic of people who consider themselves journalists who don't really do it for a living but or well, research and don't be, really do it yeah but, it's,
0: it's not really journalism yeah research.
1: research you know let alone citizen research or whatever but the way he it, it disappoints me that he feels the need to not trust anything or he doesn't trust the government. He doesn't trust the special, the interest that goes into, you know, having Tim Geithner head this committee and putting some billions on this committee. That's really, that's
0: sad. It's really.